Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. Since last year's general election, Labour and the Tories have been neck and neck on around 40% in the polls, with neither party able to sustain a real lead over the other. But when both are commanding so much support, how come so many voters say they feel unrepresented? How long will this stalemate last? And what could Labour do to make sure that we take advantage? I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope, and I'll be discussing that with my colleagues Richard Angel and Stephanie Lloyd, with our guest today, Deborah Mattinson, a founding partner of Britain Thinks, who've just carried out research on exactly these questions. Breaking the deadlock, Britain thinks latest major political research has just been published. Deborah, what was the process for carrying it out? So we started off by identifying the target seats that we thought would be most interesting and would give us a bit of variation. So we decided in the end to go to Crewe and to Thurrock and we ran workshops. So qualitative sessions, longer and a bit more sort of in-depth than a focus group. And we did slightly younger voters in Crewe and slightly older voters in Thurrock because we think the age thing is just mm. interesting and we wanted to look at that. And they were all people who were defined as target voters so that they were all people who were undecided how they were going to vote at the next election and then had voted a mix of different ways if they'd been old enough to vote. And of course, Crewe was a surprise win for Labour in 2017 and Thurrock, despite being always on a knife edge, was not one that Labour won and was held by the Tories. Exactly, exactly. So we thought that they would tell, as they did, quite interesting and different stories. What we then did was to take some of the insights and ideas that had come from those sessions and we put them into a nationally representative poll, which we ran last weekend. So when we launched it, it was you know it's pretty hot off the press at that point. And Crew as well was the by-election, wasn't it? About ten years ago, at a uh, was it just after the financial crash? Well, Crew, and it's very interesting that you raised that because you know even mm. though they were quite young voters, they had a very high awareness of this. So it was Gwyneth Dunwoody's daughter yeah. against the guy that won, the Tory that won, Edward uh, Timpson, Edward Timpson, and there was a big campaign which I think was rather ill-judged, where he was being held up as a toff. Yeah, yeah. And actually, these young swing voters 
took issue with that and felt that it was in fact Labour that was being, you know, that, that was kind of feeling that they had a right to the seat and that Edward Timpson was anything but a sort of, you know, toff that, that, uh, that they should be doffing their hats to. They felt that he was quite a good guy. But in, in the research that you've just carried out, you find that people did have this idea that uh, the Tories were quite rich and, and toff-like. And so did people, did people just factor that in or...? Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely fascinating that, um, you know, I've been doing this work for quite a long time and the adjectives that people used to describe the Tory brand were identical to those that they had used, Mm. you know, when I first did this work back in the mid 80s. You know, the language that people used, the way that they talked about the, the sort of personification of the Tory brand was almost identical to the way that they talk about it now. What I thought was really interesting was how well represented voters felt they were because around 40% of voters said that they did feel represented in some way by the major parties and 41% said they didn't and when it came to the best prime minister question which is something that I think we've seen quite a bit again and again is that Corbyn got 25% for best PM, Theresa May got 34% and don't know wins at 38% and yet despite that in 2017 we saw 80% of voters back the two main parties for the first time since 1970 with the biggest turnout in 20 years. How did that happen when so many people feel underrepresented? That that I think genuinely has much more to do with with what's happened to the other parties in the mix Mm. than it has to do with with anything great that either Labour or the Tories have done. Um, and that's what's brought that about. And it's, you know, it's one of the most interesting mm. shifts, I think. As you say, it's, we've not seen that since the 1970s. But I think that if either of the main parties are patting themselves on the back as a result of that, they are very mistaken. So Richard, Steph, obviously you do a lot of campaigning and, and did do ahead of the 2017 election. And certainly this kind of analysis perhaps isn't new, is it? We've seen it for a couple of years and certainly going into 2017, That is why we were so concerned and surprised by the result. Do you think that Labour, the people inside the Labour Party have internalised this kind of stuff? Or do you think that 2017 swept it away? I think there's a lot of complacency in Labour now. Very few of the people around Corbyn or Senior in Momentum or Navarro or some of the people who are trying to think about this stuff are actually thinking it through and have thought about what it might mean to have Jeremy Corbyn as a front-runner candidate uh, to be Prime Minister rather than before, where he was the kind of mm. underdog. Mm. And everybody agreed from Len McCluskey through to me, through to the Tories, that he had no chance of winning, which of course turned out to be true, but definitely isn't true for the next general election. The thing I thought was interesting about the research that Deborah's done is, or may, and maybe I'm checking if this is true, if so few people think the Tories represent people like me, but because a lot of them think they represent middle-class people or upper-class people, is that because people think they represent the bit above them, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's a really fair observation that there is, and in a way there always has been, a slightly aspirational end to the Tory party's brand image. I mean, I remember doing work way, way back when we looked at, at you know, kind of in, in, in the 80s, we looked at seats that Labour should have won to win in 87 and 92. And there was this really strong sense that if you were a working class person who wanted to get on, wanted to better yourself, it kind of said something about you if you voted Tory. There was a, it was a slight sort of badge of pride to do so. And I think we got a little bit of that, particularly with the perhaps 
slightly more aspirational young voters in Crewe who basically were saying, you know, those that were considering Tory were saying, you know, I think maybe they are better for people like me because they were seeing, they were placing themselves sort of in this middle class um, box rather than a working class box. And I mean, of course, hand in hand in that, with that was the sense that they no longer knew who Labour stood for. Because then the interesting flip of that with the Labour one was that very few people thought that, well, people thought that um, Labour represented people like them, but less than they have traditionally done. Labour's always done very well on that measure, but it was very high on the working class thing. Is that because people thought, were they othering the working classes in their reply to that, or did they mean them? When they thought Labour was still good for working class people, did they mean... People I think like Labour stood, or did they mean other people? Yeah, that 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 score for Labour on working class people relatively is not a great score. I mean, Labour has done much better on that score in the past, and as you say, it's done much better on for people like me as well. And I think it's quite interesting actually when you look at what, one of the things that people observed um, about working class is literally that Labour is perhaps not such a champion of people who are working. And one of the things about working class is that you work mm. so there, there, there's a slight sense and to be you know we saw this I mean I remember doing a big piece of work after 2015 and one of the problems that people had with Labour was they didn't trust Labour to run the economy and they felt that Labour was on the side of of people who were less deserving than them and I think that's that was quite a big issue. And I think, you know, having, you know, even at party conference last year, immediately after the election, obviously we're about to go into party conference soon as well. For this year, I think that 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 result emboldened their support and emboldened Corbyn and the people around him mm-hmm. to be to be very clear that they thought this is what the people of the country want. They want it to be much more left, they want it to be much further than the kind of traditional offer that people have seen Labour over the last 20 years with new mm. Labour and and things like that. So my big worry for this, as you say, is the fact that if that if they are taking the 2017 as this is our, our easy benchmark, next we will do even better. And as you say, not taking into yeah. fact that, uh, you know, all we hear is that this is the biggest vote share we've ever had, but not the fact that, as you say, the other parties have fallen away so much yeah. in comparison. We, we did look very specifically as well to that point about you know, we looked at a number of things that each of the parties could do mm. to increase and improve the vote share that they had. And, uh, you know, one of the things that was very clear, actually the worst thing that Labour could do would be to move further to the left. That was the thing that would lose them net, lose them more votes than anything else. It's really staggering. It's minus 22%. Yes. I mean, that is a really... Yes, that was, that, was, that was the worst thing that Labour could do. It has to be said, moving to the centre doesn't win any votes either. But I think that's, you know, I think people have no idea what the centre of politics means. And yeah. It's a really unhelpful thing to talk about. So again, that, that, that bit of research did throw up kind of almost quite confusing results because again, it's something that I thought we saw ahead of the general election, uh, things like that, especially the idea that uh, the best thing Labour could do for its poll ratings is not have Jeremy Corbyn as leader. And then if we move to the left, then we would lose votes. So how did we get to 40% of the vote with Jeremy Corbyn as leader by moving to the left? 
Is it simply that people didn't feel that they had anywhere else to go or was it out of fear of the Conservatives? I mean, I, I think it's genuinely a combination of things. I think it was partly fear of the Conservatives and the, you know, the, the dreadful, dreadful campaign that Theresa May ran that nobody anticipated. She and wasn't even involved in it. She yeah. barely showed it. It was just awful. Um, and, you know, and Jeremy Corbyn, you know, credit where it's due, ran a much better campaign than people anticipated mm. as well. And I think credit to a lot of local MPs who worked very hard mm. and who managed to secure votes um, from their, you know, their local electorate, sort of almost despite things that the party was or wasn't doing and against a context, and you know, you referred to this earlier, where people actually didn't think it was very likely that Labour could win anyway. My feeling is it will be harder to replicate a surprisingly good yeah. uh, result again. But, you know, it, it, you know it's, this, this is a binary thing. It depends what, what the Tories do as well. I think the other answer to that is also in the results of Deborah's work. If the Tories were to pursue a hard Brexit, that would add 1% to the change. And for Labour to back a people's vote, that would minus 2%. Basically, the parties have already organised themselves into Remain or Leave parties. And those from those traditions that are not Remain or Leave don't really care about the issue. The salience of the issue for them mm. is not particularly high. Yes, when they turned up, mm. they did vote Leave, but they'd actually much rather we renationalised the railways or got an infrastructure bank or whatever if they're on the Labour side and on the Tories the other way. So I think some of what the 2017 election was down to was simply the country organising itself around two tribes on Brexit. The other yes, th- I think that's right. And the, the, I think the reason right. why your questions um, on that don't break this mould is because... Because we're a divided there. nation that, that and that's... Happened. No, I think that's, yeah. abs- I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there's some more analysis actually that we will be doing and we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll happily share with you when we've done it where we're going to pull out particular swing voters and see how their vote moves with some of these initiatives. But I think, I think you're right. I think that... And the other thing actually, just on Brexit... You know, and I can't say this often enough, in a way, it is not top of mind for people. No. Mm. You know, this is not... When we ask people what they were worried about, and boy, they were worried, and they're very fed up that no politicians are kind of rising to the challenges that they face. Top of their mind is not Brexit. You know, Where's they're worried about the NHS. Im- immigration is something that people don't tend to raise in itself as a worry because, you know, you're thinking about your life. So you're thinking about the NHS, you're thinking about schools, you're thinking about crime. Crime has really risen up the agenda. I think that people think about immigration as a causal effect on some of those things rather than a problem in itself. And of course, the other thing, and and, and we can see this very clearly from other published polling, is that immigration has dropped down the ranking issues but I think that's partly because a lot of people kind of feel it's dealt with now mm. with Brexit. Mm. Yes, I think that's true. And, that, and, and if it turns out not to be, of course, it will go right up again. I think that's a worry, yeah. We do need to take a short break there. But when we get back, we'll talk a bit more about Brexit as well as why the parties are so divided. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm June Sarpong. And if you like the Progressive Britain podcast, then we ask you to subscribe, rate or review it on iTunes, because that's how we reach a larger audience. And that's what progressive politics is all about. The lack of unity in both major parties is raised by swing voters. But who do voters blame for the lack of unity? They know they don't like it, but but who are they punishing for that? Oh, they really clearly blame both the leaders. And they've got tons of evidence for that. So it's almost the first thing they say when they talk about either of the parties Mm. is how disunited they are. And the numbers are clear. I mean, you you can see it in our poll. It was sort of, I think, 13% say Labour are are united and 14% say the Tories and pitiful. I got that the wrong way around, but pitiful, pitiful figures. And and what they say is, you know, every time you pick up a newspaper, switch on the telly, it's another high-profile resignation from the Tory Mm. cabinet. She can't hold it together. And then when you say, I mean, we asked people what they'd heard from the Labour Party recently, and they had one word, and it was anti-Semitism. Now, the interesting thing about anti-Semitism is that most people actually don't know what it is, Mm -hmm. or have a very clear account of what it might mean. But they are very clear what it does mean is Jeremy Corbyn not in control of his own party. In fact, there was a great quote where one person said, he behaves like a backbencher arguing with his own MPs. Right. And yeah, that's just does. Yeah, she, he does. <laughs> he's really on. used to it though, isn't he? To be yeah. Fair. And you know, that that was just from an ordinary swing voter, voter who, you know, um, but this is it. and I think that's think. the thing, like when you look at when you look at the facts that obviously it was, you know, 40% for each, pretty much, give or take, in terms of vote share at the last election, but then you look so consistently how much everyone just goes when it's who do you want to be prime minister? It's like neither please, a plague on both of your houses come back, yeah. try again. Like yeah. you can just see the despair. And when you knock on people's doors, you know, when we're doing it in the elections and everything, people are just dismayed with yeah. the state of politics at the moment. In I the think terms they're more of- than dismayed, actually. I think they're angry. Yeah. And that was a word we heard a lot really? in these workshops. They actually are angry. They feel let down. They're not just dismayed, they're cross, you know. They, they think they've got lots of problems going on in their lives, their families are facing lots of problems, and that politicians just aren't across them at all. Do you think they'd rather have radical solutions that, you know, someone come come along and say, the country's broken, I'm going to fix it all, change everything? Or actually, is what they want just someone who's basically competent at their job, which uh, it feels like we haven't had for a few years? I think that's a really good question. I think in a way they'd like both. Right, they'd yeah, like okay. somebody who has some really interesting yeah, yeah. and innovative ideas, but is also competent. Mm. And in a way, this is where, you know, the, the, the Tories sort of very consistent brand, if you like, plays to their strength, because at the very least, you feel you know what you're getting with them. And you feel that, you know, they they will deliver what they say they'll deliver. You might not like a lot of it, but you kind of, it's a known quantity. So we we talked about the Tories' consistent brand, the top hats and quail eggs. 
Whereas Labour's seems to have changed a little bit from pies and pits to quinoa and communes. When people talk about what Labour used to be like and what they used to represent, do you know if they have a kind of specific period in mind? Is there a, a time that they're harking back to or... Or are people a bit blurry on that? Well, this is, I mean, it's interesting because I think a lot of people would say that in the in the period of the Labour government, things had already shifted away from pie and a pint mm. and so on. However, we've heard this most strongly actually from fairly young voters in Crewe. So they were comparing now, if you like, with the period of Labour government um, <laughs> oh, yeah. and looking back. That was the olden days for them. Because that's, yeah. that's back in the day. Back in the day is then because most of them were small children when Labour won, you know, the 97 election. So, and the, the, there was one, it was, a, it was a really young woman in her sort of, you know, mid-20s mid said, I don't think Labour now stands for the kinds of values it stood for when I was a child. I, I don't think it represents me as a working class person anymore. And that, that was really, and really clear. I remember seeing something quite recently where it talked about the vote share of working class people when we were in government in New Labour. Yeah, that's... And it's yeah, gone down. That's yeah, why I'm yeah. saying it has. So, so, so the vote share, you know, working class people is one of the highest scores in my poll, but it's still much lower than it used to be. And, that's the thing, and I think that's the interesting thing when people go, we need to get back to our labour roots and, the, and, you know, and, and our heartlands and all the rest of mm. it, the people that we're here to represent. And by that, you know, the Corbynistas mean working class people, but actually... It's it's the thing that I think they would struggle to wrestle with, in the fact that actually when we were when we were new Labour in that sense and Blairite, if we're going to go back to all of those ridiculous words, <laughs> like that was when working class people almost felt like we represented them the most. Yeah. in that sense, and, and, and I think this is what the, you know. This is one of the things that came through this piece of work most dramatically. Actually, was you know these voters looking at Labour almost baffled, really. You know, what are you like now? And and you know, there's this image of of a kind of, you know, a, as they put it, a hippie student whose idea of fun is going out on demos, which is obviously something that they, the voter, would never do. You know, eating quinoa, yeah, drinking beer, but drinking this sort of very pricey you know, sort of craft, craft beer, beer yeah. very posh uh, designer label beer. And, and, and somebody who's just so distant from their own lives. And the, the older voters in Thurrock felt this very strongly too and felt a real sense of loss, I think. But even in our last election, we pledged more money to go to those middle-class people when it came to £12 billion on tuition fees for people that were already... Yes. If you're already well... And, well, it supported well, the already students that they, <laughs> that they think that Labour is all about. And I think well, that indeed. was that was one of the yeah. That's interesting. With if you if you think the big thing that John McDonnell wants to have different about the next manifesto compared to the last one is universal basic income. If you're saying that there's already a sense that labour is for other people than them, that there is a that they're going to almost pay people to not work to literally come out with a policy that is to pay people of which one of the outcomes in social democratic Finland was that lots of people didn't work. And that happened. How do you think that's going to go down? And what kind of yeah? I mean, we did, we, did, we didn't test that specifically in this piece of work, but I, you know, my feeling is that it it, it certainly is something that that the voters in those workshops would take issue with. That they that you know what they feel is that they are unrewarded for the hard work that they put in, and they're putting in a lot. And you know, the younger people feel a grievance. They're not able to um, you know get a decent flat to rent. They're not you know, not able to buy one. They've got lots of problems that they're facing mm. and they feel they're working really hard. And, and and the older people are just looking at this and have this sense of loss and nostalgia about how things used to be. And what's your sense about the kind of return they would like to see for that? Would they like lower taxes, better public services, the opportunities that feel deprived from them 
get on the property ladder, even just afford their rent or whatever. Yeah. Where do you think it fits for them? It, I, th- I think this is where it gets quite tricky because, I mean, you know, you can obviously generate a long wish list of things that people would like. And one of the things that's quite interesting that came to me very clearly through this work is how differently the two main parties are judged. So for the Tories, in a way, it's obvious they're the party of government, but they will very much be judged by what they deliver, how they deliver policies. Will they deliver Brexit as, uh, you know, an attractive Brexit as people would like? Will they will they deliver, um, you know, better NHS funding, et cetera, et cetera. For Labour... I feel it is actually about reassuring around the party itself and competency and how trusted they are. If you like, it's about the party brand before you can even get to those things. Because otherwise, you can come up with a great big long wish list that people love, but actually they don't trust you to deliver it, so it's irrelevant, which actually in a way is what happened in 2015. Literally what happened. And that's what the research was saying in the run-up to 2015, yeah. Yeah. I'm afraid we have completely run out of time, but um, Deborah, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about that really interesting research. Frankly, I, I, the most interesting thing I found about it was that so many people knew what quinoa was. <laughs> they couldn't spell it, but then um, neither could I. I've, I've, I think I've only ever had it once in my life and I have no idea what bit of the dish was the quinoa. So. It's horrible. It's like horrible little grainy things. I can't look at it. It, ma- it genuinely makes me feel a bit queasy it's when I look yuck. at it. It's the little... But it's yuck. If anyone wants to find out more or about this quinoa, research, depending on how people like <laughs> If anyone wants to find out more about this research, uh, we'll pop in some useful links below. Deborah, thank you very much. Pleasure. Each week, I ask a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's extra show. This week, for no particular reason, I want to ask about Salisbury Cathedral, which of course famously has a 123 metre high spire but it also houses the world's oldest functioning clock. My question is, in what year was that clock first constructed? I'll reveal the answer to that on Friday's Extra Show. If you think you know the answer, do email in to office at progressonline.org.uk and you could win a fabulous Progress mug. That's the end of today's show. We've been delighted to have Deborah Mattinson joining us. We'll be back on Friday with our look ahead to Labour Party conference which you shouldn't miss. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton, who produced this podcast. Mm-hmm.